Marty was acting a little strange. He's right. There's residue. Holcomb is the third victim. Backdraft was set up somewhere in there. Fried Holcomb when he opened the inner door. But the outer door held and it waited for Tim. In a word, Brian. What is this job all about? Fire. across the door and up across the ceiling, not because of the physics of flammable liquids, but because it wants to. Some guys on this job fire wrongs and makes them fight it on its level. The only way to truly kill it is to love it a little, just like Ronald. Countdown? Uh, I, I can do a countdown. Do you think my countdown will be good enough? No, you do it in Finnish or something. <laughs> I was planning to do it in Swedish. Five, four, three, two, one. Now the story of an eclectic fan base who lost touch with reality and the one podcast that somehow holds them all together. It's the substandard expanded universe. Welcome to the second inaugural SSEU live show. We emptied a fire, ha- fire hydrants in this episode and have one hell of a show planned. We have announcements to make. We have neighbors to gossip about. We have a movie to talk about. I also have some PlayStation news that I thought that I would share with our audience as an expert on console gaming. Yeah. This is the 83rd episode of the SSEU podcast that Flag Taylor has described as mediocre terrible. This podcast started as a tribute podcast to the Sub-Beacon podcast, but quickly found its niche in topics like counting and Star Wars and bodily fluids. We have an ever-expanding, rotating cast of guests that come on the podcast to share their horrible opinions. You can find us in most places where you normally find podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter, at SSEU Podcast, and in other places that we will talk more about on this podcast later. I am Thomas. I'm your sprightly host, and I'm, as usual, joined by handyman Haberman and Tour de France challenger Ryan. Guys, how are you? Fantastic. How are you, Thomas? I'm good. I I will tell you why uh, in in just a little bit. But yeah, I'm good. But Thomas is recording. You guys don't realize how much she sacrificed for the show. The last time we had a live show, uh, what time did we start recording? Like 1, 2 a.m.? I think it was 1, 1 a.m. Yeah. My original plan for today, uh, and I mentioned it to you in a text message today, was that I was going to have a surprise for you. And the surprise was going to be that I was going to record outside. It seemed great. We had a beautiful day. It was 29 degrees Celsius out. And then it gets to No one to knows like, what that means. Then it gets to like 8 o'clock. 
and tut tut, it looks like rain. So I'm stuck inside and I can't record out there. I'll do it. That that was the surprise was that you were recording outside. I I would have only liked it if you were recording outside and it was raining. I just wanted to show you guys that just because it's 11 p.m., it doesn't mean that it has to be dark. The mainstream media has told you this and it doesn't have to be true. I lived lived in Alaska for a year, so I know. Oh, yeah. You can go out and ride your bike at midnight. Wake up, sheeple. Totally. When did you live in Alaska? Between high school and college because I had uh, Wait. reconstructive Wait. knee Hang surgery on. right after high school and had to take basically a year off to let my knee recover. I remember that story. Be- before you would have gone to college if you had? If I had gone to college. Uh, <laughs> before, it was it was a year between the time that a normal person would have gone to college and uh, high school. You just like, hey, Alaska's amazing healing. No, my, my mom has, uh, I don't even know anymore, like five or six brothers and sisters that live in Alaska. On her side, I have nine aunts and uncles. Chris, a ghost is behind you. That's Jordan going back and forth. Ryan, I feel like I've already asked this once, but are those... The people in Alaska, are those Jonah Goldberg's in-laws? Yeah, they are. Anchorage is so small that, yeah, they have to be the same people. Yeah, especially since her family's from Fairbanks. So There's yeah, like I nothing mean, in Fairbanks, or at least there used to be nothing in Fairbanks. There are only so many conversations that we can really have, so we're bound to just repeat the same ones over and over again. All right, well, we, what else do you want to talk about now that we've talked about before? Well, right, tell us about the time. Tell prison the time basketball? You, yeah. I played, I played basketball in a prison. My... <laughs> My Christian college basketball team, we we went and we scrimmaged inmates. And uh, what, the, what most thing, the, like? most, <laughs> the most thing I remember is that it was took forever to get inside. It was really uh, hard to get inside. Ryan, question, question, uh, audience question. Batman wonders if prison scrimmage is a euphemism. Well, I just gave the euphemism when I said it was took a long time to get inside. It was really hard to get <laughs> The guys that we played against, you know, they may have been hardened criminals, killers, and all that stuff, but they were really, like, once they, we started playing basketball, it was just basketball. Uh, I wasn't... Uh, and they like, were they, gentlemen in the showers. I actually have some new conversation. <clears throat> all right, good. And it's actually not me. It's Haberman who has realized that he remembers something. I, right. I do? Oh, he remembers yeah. something wrong. Remind, <laughs> me what I, remind me what I remembered. I don't. You're the one who told me that you wanted to talk about something that you remembered. Oh yeah. So I um, pulled up the new Glop, and I was listening, and John Podhortz was just complaining about just. I mean, I think if you're on social media or reading the newspaper, you're despairing about America right now. That there is so much. And I think Pod Horde said, uh, we are in kind of the biggest, not crisis, but just the divisions in America right now and, and the cities are burning. And, and I mean, this, there's, no, there's no analog. There's no modern analog for it. Not Rodney King riots, not 1968. This is a, on a whole different level. But it's worse than that because there's no sports on TV. Indeed, indeed. At least Here are distractions. And, and someone mentioned Twitter and how Twitter is just a cesspool. And, and I remembered that- Agreed. I have been aggressively curating my my Twitter feed for the past several months, just muting, 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 muting. Uh, and it's not just, we, we are becoming more and more tribal. Uh, and even the people who, who might be politically aligned toward me, there are all these circular firing squads for not being enough of this and enough of that. And um, Twitter is just, I mean, Ryan's not even on Twitter anymore. He temporarily de- <laughs> deactivated his account and then found out that after 30 days, it just... 
deleted his whole account. Yeah. Oh, so how, how long? Did, how long did you spend looking for your tweets yesterday? For backdraft, my backdraft live tweets, uh, probably like two hours. I was trying to find them on the Wayback Machine, but the Wayback Machine's not very. You can't search by hashtag on the Wayback Machine. <laughs> I was so mad that when I found out that after thirty days, they just like your your account. I thought I could still reactivate it. It was it was a big mistake by me. So thank you for bringing it up. I'm really happy about it. <laughs> so my, my point is that despite all my uh, efforts to curate my Twitter feed, it's still a mess. And I have just not gone to public Twitter. And I, I don't even check my mentions. So I, if you feel ignored by me because you're tweeting at me and I don't see it, uh, it's because uh, <laughs> my mentions are over men- overwhelmed by the mega thread and just it's just hard for me to, to go on anymore. And, and most of our, our communications with people on Twitter is through uh, direct messages. And I just thought back to how bad we thought things were in 2015 and 2016, that we thought the world was going crazy, that we had nominated, uh, that a major party had nominated a game show host to be their candidate for president. And weeks before the election, he bragged about um, grabbing their hoo-ha. And, uh, that's not what she said. That's I, don't not think what he said. Bragged, I don't think he said hoo-ha. That's not it. He bragged about sexually assaulting women, and he was that, still that's accurate. And we're and we're just tearing our hair out, and we're just like we don't even recognize this country anymore. And this is a bad place. What uh, was birthed in that era was the substandard podcast, right? That in this in the middle of kind of this national turmoil, we had this third thing, this thing where we could just ignore politics and just have this wonderful podcast that focused. Uh, on on pop culture and on the internet on Twitter, this SSU emerged out of that. And we used to do you remember the the DMs and Slacks and all that stuff. That's fairly new for for at least a year, maybe two years. All we did was talk on public regular Twitter. That we <laughs> used we used Twitter just to to talk back and forth. Um, this Twitter thing that Ryan's not even on that I never check. Are you on? Are are you on Twitter at all, Thomas? Like yes. Okay. All right. So you're still on, but I'm just thinking back as bad as we thought 2016 was things, just bad thing after bad thing. Uh, you, you know, the, the weekly standard clothes. And then this, as bad as we thought that was think back to the halcyon days of, of 2016. We actually, uh, Twitter was a fine place to go and actually have conversations and meet people of like mind. It's, it's just, I wanted to reminisce. So this is not, this is a new segment. Um, reminiscences from the, uh, never from do the SCU. Again. Uh, this is not remember when because I do have a remember when. Okay. Oh, Tran- transition. Oh crap! No, 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 uh, no. Uh, along oh, lines no. of what you okay. what you yeah. said, like yeah. um, I meant to wear. Laura sent me a shirt with um, <laughs> with. I meant to wear it. I don't know what I'm, I I was gonna wear. It was from JBL's newsletter where it was the quote of where he said like it was something that I said, but he said as my buddy Ryan Kinney says, and Rose made the joke. Like you should get that framed, and I put that in premium. And Laura sent me a shirt with that quote on it. I took a picture and texted it to JVL, and he was, and he said, "Like I fucking love that." And I just said, "Like you know, of of what has come from their show, just like all of us so, meeting." Uh, and he even said, "Like that's the best thing about the show." While you are bragging about being friends with celebrities and best friends with JVL and everything like that, and Haberman is just ignoring all of Twitter, I am still a man of the people. I am on Twitter. I talk to people. I engage with them. Most people are friendly. I, I actually care about people unless 
unlike you two misogynists. <laughs> I'm not sure how that led to that, but I, it's still true. Uh, before we get to your remember when, yes, Stephen, I would call them that if, if I could pronounce it, but I can't. Try. Uh, misanthropes? Yeah, yeah, you got it. I just wanted to briefly tell our audience what I have been doing this week. Well, actually, in the past couple of days. First of all, so my parents live up along this river in northern Sweden. It's beautiful. It's absolutely amazing. If you drive 15, 20 minutes south of here along the river, you get to a big waterfall where fishing is really big and there's a camping, but there's also a really nice restaurant right on the river where you can look at the waterfall and have food. And I went there and I just treated myself to a meal yesterday. It was great. It's called buying yourself lunch. You don't actually treat yourself to a meal. No, you, you might treat, treat you might treat someone else to a meal. You like if you buy the no, meal. No, you can treat yourself to a meal. Also, yesterday, two days ago, I built a garage door because during the winter, so all of our garage doors are made out of wood. And during the winter, when they were plowing the yard and plowing the, the driveways and whatever, uh, they managed to to hit one of the doors and they broke it. And I built a new one, and I'm so proud of myself. Are most garage doors made out of wood? I mean, around here they are. It's a rural area. Most garages probably used to be barns or something like that. Are these like uh, multi-segmented with hinges on them that that go up and... No, they they open like this. What would you call that? Oh, okay. All right. Gotcha. Because... So ours, can you picture the ones that I'm talking about in America? Yes, I can. Yeah, no. They're 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 aluminum. They're aluminum because they need to be light enough for like a two or like a half horsepower motor to... to right, and that's just, that's, that's a waste of energy and electricity. You can just have regular doors that you open. Uh, you, don't, you don't need to push a button. Let's, let's talk more about Sweden because every once in a while, I feel like you pull out just some interesting trivia, like uh, some disgusting food that you eat. And, and so if you don't think of sharing something like that, then we don't have content for the show. But I don't think we've mentioned this on the show, but maybe we have. As you know, my memory is about two weeks long. If you are gone, you do something to indicate that you're not at home, yeah, right? We, we have talked about this on the show, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, if you leave the house, like here in, in the villages around here, and you want to signal to others that oh, they okay. shouldn't bother to come and knock on the door, you just leave the broom up against the door, against the front door, and people will know that you're not home. Right, yeah, you did say that. Also, I wanted to say, and we'll yeah. talk more about this next week uh, after this actually happened, but I'm really excited because... I. Uh, I think we talked about this earlier. I was a little worried about uh, midsummer because we had all sorts of travel restrictions and you weren't supposed to be in public and it's like it's like a big holiday in Sweden and it's this Friday. But on Wednesday, my sister and my niece and my nephew and his girlfriend are hmm. all coming here. And so it will be a great midsummer on Friday. Tell us a little bit more about the midsummer tradition. So, so do you really dance around a maple? When you watch the movie, I will tell you more about the holiday. I- I'm not watching the movie. Mm. I still don't understand. Why. Not after what you told us last week. If you wanted us to watch it, you shouldn't have said what you said last week. There, there is a poll on Twitter right now that I posted with our account that asks if we should do... Me- Never mind that poll. That poll <laughs> is not important. <laughs> Didn't turn out how you hoped, did it? Don't even want to hear us talk about Midsummer, let alone watch it. Ariaster is a fine director. Whatever. Transition. Haberman, talk about your remember when. Oh, yeah. Just This is a short segment. Every once in a while, things, things from yesteryear, I mean, eventually uh, we'll be like, point, hey, remember point when Point of order, were... point of order, point of order. Any segment that I do is a short segment. Go on, Chris. So 
just in uh, as we were texting back and forth, I don't know what made me think of it, but Great. Uh, what was that golfer's name who won uh, one of the majors? Was his name Travis Duffner? Duffner is his last name. I don't think his first name is Travis, but it might be. So this, is, this guy who won a major, and, and he just he looked like a non-athlete. Um, he just looked like this goofy-looking dude. Uh, Jason Duffner. Jason yeah. Duffner, goofy-looking dude. And within a few weeks of him winning the major, he went to visit a kindergarten class and uh, fell asleep like in the middle of of visiting this school and uh, thus started a craze called Duffnering of people like <laughs> imitating. So do you remember when people used to like yeah. pl- go planking and, yeah. and whatever, uh, take pictures of them doing like, maybe like plank on top of something yeah. or. Yeah. I remember when people would plank. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but the, 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 there was a short craze called Duffnering where people would just like think this was the, po- you know, he was kind of slouched down. Yeah. I, I remember this. That's that's it. If you fall asleep during a podcast, it's called doing a Rob Long. Uh, are you criticized? Are you saying he's boring, or did he fall asleep? No, no, he uh, he finds the others' discussions at times. They're, they're oh. more nerdy. Oh, yeah, yeah, he goes he mock, boring. He mock yeah. sleeps them. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of, so he's done this on Glop when they are talking about Game of Thrones. I had this amazing idea yesterday on Twitter, and it only got like two likes. And I don't understand why, but you know what would be an amazing movie or show, preferably a show, would be if they took the Skyrim game and they made it into a TV show because it's an amazing open-ended world with different cities and different like sort of like warlords, whatever you have. And it would be great. And I I don't know who I should talk to about this, but... Is, is Skyrim the game that what, what was the game that was supposed to be completely just like it went on forever and it was supposed you were supposed to be able to go to different worlds and then people hated it when it came out. Yeah, No, Man, no Man's Sky. Sky can, That's can what it was. Yeah. Never mind. No, that, that one was apparently a disappointment. Uh, yeah. And uh, Stephen is right. The Witcher, I absolutely no interest in. Skyrim would be great. Thomas, looks like you have your balls in your hands. This is a mini golf ball. I don't go in for that kind of humor. Blue balls. And uh, this is the... <laughs> Ryan says right before he laughs. One summer, like five, uh, five years ago or something like that, on the, the village mini golf course, I got the record and won the summer tournament with this ball. And then I kept it. You won a putt-putt tournament. When you put it like that, it sounds so much less impressive. Oh, my kids <laughs> like putt-putt. Nothing wrong with putt-putt. You was it was Thomas and like his seventy eight nine year olds and Thomas won. Look, there are he got it so, through the clown's mouth. Mm-hmm. There are no clowns. That that's not the proper mini golf course. They, oh, they don't have, tell us about a proper mini. They golf They don't have any stupid windmills or clowns or whatever. They actually have like every putt putt I've ever been to has a windmill or a clown. Yeah, see, that's not a proper mini golf course. That, that's that's incorrect. Those, we have a mini wrong. we have a mini golf course here in Texas that is um like it's like there are par 3 courses that are just par 3s but we have like an actual mini golf course where like it's not even really par 3s it's basically like the tee box is just like a chip like it's still a par 3 but it's not it, none of them are like 100 yards or 100 140 yards like the the biggest one is like maybe 30 yards and then there's like obstacles on the green when you putt so i've got a story uh, a dispatch from middle america for you i uh, purchased a quarter of a steer last week (laughs) 
did you get to pick like which the back half? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the back uh, half. You got it set no, up in your garage. I, I haven't purchased uh, beef in a grocery store for a while now. Uh, my understanding is the prices have gone up and supply has gone down, and so uh, I know someone who who Wait, raises you cattle. Just like yeah, do you like drive up to the farm and you point and you're like, <laughs> I want the middle quarter of that steer. Oh, Jeremy, you want Jeremy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how this works generally, but I actually know someone who raises cattle and they were uh, actually slaughtering it for themselves. And I was able to purchase a quarter of the beef that came off that cow. So uh, I don't know. I, I, my understanding is there's a new service that's set up around town that connects producers with consumers. So there's like a middleman, but of course you want to eliminate that middleman. And so an I eliminated app? that middleman by going straight to the person. It's, it's like an app uh, where, I mean, because the thing is, there's lots of beef. Uh, right now, there's, there's an issue with the, uh, with the processing of the beef. The big plants, like these, those have shut down various times because it's, it's, uh, there are all these COVID hotspots in, in meat processing. Uh, this got processed at like a local locker, but even those are really, really backed up right now where uh, if he hadn't had uh, this guy I bought from, and I'm going to buy another quarter in September, if he hadn't had a slot, the next available opening, if, even if you have the steer, uh, you can't get it uh, butchered until April of next year. So it's, it's incredibly backed up. Um, I was very grateful to be able to get a quarter of, of a steer. Go ahead, Thomas. I have two questions. The first is, okay. why aren't you buying your meat at uh, Sam's Club? And the second is, why are you just not hunting around? Hunt, hunt your own beef. Explain <laughs> to me how that means. <laughs> I mean, how does that I work? see that all the time when I'm driving around. I see you, tons you, of cows. You, you pull over, climb the fence, shoot a cow, and drag it back to your truck. I think that's how it works. Oh, Chris doesn't have a truck. That's it. I don't have a okay. truck. Drag into the minivan. So here's how it works: is your typical. How do you get it over the fence, though? Like after you hop the fence and then shoot it, how do you get it back over the fence into your truck? Wire cutter. I, I don't know. Oh, I, you I, have to have wait, friends. I forgot. Ask, if, ask William Baldwin. He will know. So here's the thing: your your typical steer is thirteen to fourteen hundred pounds. So that's going to be heavy, even if you quarter it right there in the field. That's still a quarter of that uh, would be a lot to carry. Anyway, here's what I was charged: is can somebody calculate that for us? <laughs> it's a dollar twenty a pound on the entire weight. Now, of course, not all of that. That includes the hide and the hooves and like parts that you don't eat. It comes to I'm trying to think of how much actual weight uh, of meat you get, um, and then you pay like three to four hundred bucks to process, and then so divide that by four, and uh, that's what you have for how much it cost me. It was like it cost me maybe five hundred bucks for boy. I got probably 70 pounds of ground beef um, and then tons of steaks and, and, and uh, roasts. Where do you store all of so this? I pay like $4 a pound. <laughs> How much did you pay a pound? I paid like $4 a pound roughly How- for, for everything. So that includes both the ground beef and the, and the, the, the high-quality steaks. Okay. So, yeah. so do you How much have like did an you extra sell- freezer? Uh, so I actually split the quarter with a friend. So I actually only came home with oh. an eighth. But but we, yeah, we do have a chest freezer. We don't have a large one. Otherwise, I would have gotten the. But in September, I'll get another eighth of a cow and split that with someone else. How much did you sell to Estee Lauder? Their number one selling perfume is I'm rancid and covered in meat milk. <laughs> Thomas, Bet- Bettman wants to know if... Uh, transition. Bettman wants to know if Boo Ball is back in Finland. 
I have never actually played on an actual team. I have only played this game in high school during uh, gym class, PE class, whatever, whatever. You, you didn't call play it. on the high school team. We have this crazy idea that schools are for education, so we don't have like school teams. So it's crazy. I know. Speaking of weird, uh, like scents in Seinfeld, Kramer invented the scent, the beach. The beach. Uh, he he pitched to them, right? And then it turned out that mm-hmm. they didn't steal from it, him. But then Please. they stole it. They stole it. Yeah. yeah, that's how they all work. He smells the beach on somebody at some point, right? And he's like, and then they stole the movie rights, and Leo plays starred in it. Uncle Leo. Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, the, movie, the, beach. the movie, the beach. I have not seen that. I think you it was could a book. Not... It was it was a book first, and then you, you could not pay me to watch that. Uh, I think the but... book is actually good, though. But, well, uh... I wouldn't watch the book either. So, uh, Chris and I have been rewatching Seinfeld. Uh, Chris, how much of it have you uh, have you watched? I am midway through season three. Uh, but you started with season six. I watched like four or five episodes of season six for no particularly good reason. And then I went back to the beginning and then worked my way. I think I'm, I'm halfway through season three or four. I think it's three. Do you have like all the DVDs? Where are you, how are you working your way through these? Yep. I put the DVD in my phone and watch it. <laughs> no, they're, they're on, it's on Hulu. Oh, it is? Okay. The amazing thing is that their best episodes are probably in like season six, seven, eight yeah. or something like that. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Those, those, uh, yeah, those three seasons are some of the best TV of all time. Andrew Rice says that he's watching Seinfeld for the first time ever. And I, get, you're. Get out. What? <laughs> that was an Elaine joke. <laughs> get out. Andrew, how far along are you? Steven, so there, there, uh, there are you, s- you should watch, if you haven't watched Jerry's recent Netflix episode <laughs> or uh, stand up special. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should you should watch it. It's really really good. I didn't explain my, like I listened to the episode where I talked about it, and I didn't explain what I meant very well because Chris made it seem like I was criticizing his old stuff. What I meant was like before this last special, his recent was kind of just like him rehashing a lot of his old jokes, but trying to update them, and it was just like it was like he didn't put any work into it. And so I, that's why I wasn't expecting anything from this recent special. But the recent special is like he he had to have gone out on the road a lot to work out all these jokes. It's completely new jokes. And they're like almost just as good as like his 1999 special. And that's what I meant by that is like I do love his 90s stuff. But then he just kept doing that over and over for a long time. And this is new and it's great. But what were you saying earlier today, Chris, that if if Jerry Seinfeld tried to do his old stuff or stuff that appeared on <laughs> Seinfeld in the past today, he would be canceled like, Some of it. Yeah. in the next hour. Yeah, so so the bit I mentioned to you guys was, uh, and it's funny because some of this I missed when I watched, so I never saw Seinfeld really when it was on live. I remember seeing like the last episode, episode here and there, but when I went to college, I would watch uh, two or three episodes a night that, that uh, I would get home from dinner and just sit in my dorm room with friends. And between Fox and TBS, well, um, there would be back to back to back. Was. It was great. And um, so I never really watched it in order. But also when I watched it, they, they had to cut it down. Like if you look at the originals, they're like 23 minutes and some. Uh, and so some of the, the stand-up bits are cut. They, they have to cut like 30 seconds to a minute out of each episode. And um, so, so if you watch it on TV, you kind of miss some of it. But 
Uh, so maybe I'd never seen this stand-up bit, but at the end of which episode did I say? Do you remember? Oh, I don't know. I don't, no, said. don't remember. But, oh, was it the, the contest? Uh, yeah, the contest. Uh, He has this bit where he says, you know, what men men like what women cover up is, is his whole bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, like, if, if women uh, wore hats all the time, uh, you know, we'd be like, every time they would take off their hat, you know, we'd be like, wow, we'd be seeing like Playboy's best skulls of the Midwest or whatever. And then he, the, the next part of the bit was that in primitive cultures where they just walk around naked, he said like, what's special for them since they never cover up? What are their strip couples like? Like when they take off their necklaces, um, are they like, whoa, like, uh, or like when they take out their nose ring, um, do you look at that indentation there? And like, is that really hot? And uh, it was a really funny bit, but there's no way, there's no way that he could do that today. And like just much of the, uh, many of the episodes, like it would have been canceled. Cancel culture would have come after that show so many times. I mean, as it is, the Puerto Rican Day Parade um, wasn't really ever right. On they TV. they have to. They don't show it. It's none. Yeah. It's not in well, it, among it, yeah. It, it's the same with. I think it's the same with the episode about the oh, what's it called? The tobacco Indian or whatever it's called. Cigar store Indian. Uh, yeah. Cigar Cigar store Indian. St- yeah, I don't think they show that one anymore either. Probably yeah. not. Probably not. Steven says that Arrested Development, a lot of it wouldn't be allowed today. I don't know. I'll have to go back to that. Now Thomas wants to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) For the first time ever. When was the first season of Arrested Development? 2013? 2005. No. 2003 or yeah somewhere around there they didn't sneak into this country to be our friends yeah but i think like that's i think that would still be allowed because i think they're mocking people who actually like have that people don't see that nuance anymore i mean it depends on who it is i mean david cross is on it and david cross is like super woke so if you have david cross on the show and like you have his woke cloak, you can get away with more stuff. You could see this in England the other day because the other day the BBC announced that they were pulling one of the Faulty Towers episode, which is the episode where there's a, a German visiting the hotel and the old, I think he's a major or whatever he is staying there. Like he goes on some sort of like rant. No, is a faulty does and and like he high steps like it's not an endorsement of it is it's just right. look at this racist fool or something like that but they decided to pull it to put it under review and and also there's i didn't see a specific problem but in faulty towers they would probably have a problem with uh the the relate the, the relationship between basil and manuel is probably problematic the fact that, like basil was abusive of this of this, the, the, Spaniard, this or something. Spaniard basil's not a hero like we're supposed to hate it. Like you look at him and you're like, he's a bad guy. Yeah. You know, like that's part of what's funny is he's awful. Nobody could see it. They could just be like, oh, it's perpetuating power relationships of, of privileged over underprivileged. I have a Seinfeld ranking that I would like okay. to, to trot out here for this episode. Uh, so I only have, a, it, it's a ranking. It has three items on it. And I decided to, to rank uh, Jerry Seinfeld's girlfriends. In the third slot, we have uh, Jenna played by Kristen Davis. Uh, oh, not F- his real girlfriend. Okay, that's good. Because no. <laughs> no, no 16 year old. Break the high schooler. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. From the show, uh, Jenna, Christine Davis from The Pothole. And this is the two. The one they got covered episode. with. Yeah, yeah. The one that, yeah. Dropped the toothbrush in the toilet, and then she brushed her teeth with it, and then she got covered with sewage, yeah. Yeah, and so this episode sort of makes me think of, of you, Chris, because you are a bit of a, a germaphobe. 
A little bit. He still uses toothbrush if it fell in the toilet, though. He's not crazy. It's exactly. Like, you would pick it up and you would still use it. Anyway, but so Christine Davis is also delightful. She, she, I, I love her. Charlotte in Sex in the City is the best character in that show. Hold on. Hold on. Not I think we're going to have to, we're going to uh, hang on to that ranking because we, we've got a lot to unpack here. You've, you watched the Sex in the Series, Sex in the City series. He watched the Sex in the Series City too. Sex in the Series City. You, you, so you watched that. There's mm-hmm. so many shows. And Blue Bloods. And Blue Bloods. Blue Bloods but he, speaks for itself, which but is. But he refuses to watch network, it's sunny, network TV garbage. But you watched. Have you seen the movies? I have seen all of Sex and the City and the two movies. Yes. <laughs> number two on my ranking, so not number three, but number two, is Beth. From the episode, one of the best episodes of all of Seinfeld, yada was yada. Na- naked. Oh, yada, yada, yada. yada yada. Yada yada was was uh, was George's girlfriend, though, right? George is together yes. with the the woman who he's gonna marry, right? What's her name? Yada yada. Susan. She got her nails done for free or something like that. Some yeah. Anyway, but but Jerry is date, dating Beth. Okay. Deborah okay. Messing. Uh, he dated oh, two. Right. He dated two Beths during the course of uh, Seinfeld. One of them was Beth. What were their last names? There was a couple that split okay. up, and then Elaine and Jerry dated each of them. So, but de- it- so Beth, the, the number two girlfriend, is is the racist. You're saying is Deborah Messing because that's I, what I mean, she's remembered for is that she's a racist. I I wouldn't put it that way. But let's move on to number one. So uh, number okay. one. Of- oh, sorry, sorry. Anti-Semite. But also like anti-dentite. Like, what do you call a doctor who failed out of medical school? A dentist. I, I see what you're doing. Okay. So number one, of course, is uh, the character named as Sidra from the episode The Implant. And it is uh, Terry Hatcher who has probably the most memorable quote or sentence of any Seinfeld episode ever. They're real and they're spectacular. I like Terry Hatcher, although by this point, she was sort of like B-level movie star or something like that. She was in... Uh, Lois and Clark? Like, Lois and Clark was yeah. like the most... No, 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 no. I would say her peak was Desperate Housewives. Like, no, I'm Lois saying at that point... Fine. Yeah. Desperate no. Housewives? She was... No, probably, sure. Now, like it, now, I think that's what she's probably most known for. But I think Lois and Clark, at the point that she was on Seinfeld... Sure, yeah. Was that's what, what she's she known was, for. Because I, I watched Lois and Clark yeah. when I was yeah. teenager... But but right. wouldn't you say that it was a little more niche of a show than uh, Desperate Housewives, where Desperate Housewives was Dolores. like? Let's look up the ratings, Ryan. Well, remind well, me, remind me how to look up ratings. Do you have a phone book? Do you want to look up ratings for Judge Janine? Because <laughs> you can't find them. They don't. They don't make them. Uh, 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 Batman, can you remind me who Dolores is? Because I just, he, he forgot name. her name, and she said it rhymed with a female body part. Oh. Oh, okay. Is it Gipple? <laughs> <laughs> and then in the in the episode you mentioned Mulva? earlier, the, <laughs> in the episode you mentioned earlier, Chris, uh, the contest. Uh, he is dating someone that he dated for two episodes. It's the contest mm-hmm. and the virgin, mm-hmm. right? And it's the virgin girlfriend who uh, who who is in there, and she finds finds out about the bet and breaks mm-hmm. up with him. That was the John John episode too, yep. John, JFK Junior. In that one. Uh, yeah, so in, in the early season, Terry Hatcher was in Star Trek: The Next Generation because I watched I, that show and I don't remember her. 
Okay, second season. What was she? Involved oh, in? she wasn't a regular, but she was in it. Okay. Other Seinfeld thoughts in, in the early seasons. The the situation, the setups are very funny, but I love the zaniness of the later seasons, like the Merv Griffin show, just the the crazy stuff. However, the simplicity of the early episodes and just um, the twisted mind that that um, that Larry David has just makes me laugh. Um, and one is one episode is the Big Salad where. The whole like premise of the show is just pettiness between them. That that George pays for a big salad for Elaine, but it's his girl George's girlfriend that gives it to her, and um, she says thank you to the girl. And George just wants acknowledgement that he paid for it. And the pettiness of the girlfriend when she finds out that George has made a big deal of it. Um, well, she doesn't find out that he made a big deal of it, but she found out that 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 Elaine knew that George bought it. She's like, how did you know that George bought it? I was the one that hand like. The brain, the sort of twisted mind that comes up with these premises for episodes, it's brilliant. It's it's just great. I really appreciate, and Chris taught me this term the other day, uh, some of the bottle episodes that they have, where like the episodes are minimal. They Chris usually is so take smart. Place, they usually take place in like one spot. There aren't really any other actors involved, whatever. It's but, usually the episode they turn in for their Emmy. Uh, is it really? I didn't know that. A lot of the time. A lot of the times it is. It, the, the show, I keep telling you to watch on Apple TV, the um, <laughs> the one that Rob McElhenney created. I can't remember the name of it now, but their bottle episode is great. And also their post, they did a bonus episode that they recorded, like all the characters recorded it from their home, but it works with, the way the show is because the, the show is about a video game creator like rob McElhenney is a like it, the the whole show revolves around a video game company and so it works that they're like working from home doing like skype calls and working and stuff and it's it's seriously great it's one of the best episodes of tv i've ever seen what's this show called i don't remember hold on raven's quest yeah raven's quest That's thank you cam yeah, so Jerry Jerry Ryan was on. This is only the, the connection is that she was on a Star Trek show, but it wasn't Next Generation. I guess it was Voyager, but I, I know her from Bosch. People ask about how old people were. She's fifty two. We'll come back and talk about later later seasons once Thomas and I get them get to them. But uh, the two quotes that that made me I, I love the alternate side. I love that that show for both. Um, when they're at the rental car and they, they have the discussion about the reservations, you know how to take a reservation. You don't know how to keep a reservation. And that's really the most important part of a reservation. Um, but also these pretzels are making me thirsty. That's a great episode. I think the restaurant is one of the best. Ch- the Chinese restaurant. Yeah. The Chinese. Very restaurant. good. Yeah. When Kramer gets hit in the head and he's just saying weird things. Um, this is where um, Jerry, Jerry dates the girl, the woman who like is a hit and run in, in the neighborhood. But he is really that- wants to date the neighbor across the street. Yeah. And, um, and Kramer's just like, he'd been hit in the head and he's just saying wacky things. And he's like, talk about how the scum of the earth, people who hit and run scum of the earth. He said, they should send them to Australia. And everyone's like, what? He's like, well, yeah, that's where they would send criminals. And they're like, but not anymore. He's like, no. I am not sure that I have seen, I have seen Michael Richards in anything else. Why but, do you think that is? But, uh, well, because he's a Nazi. Well, he had his cr- own, he did have his own show after Seinfeld. He what had a show called? where he played, like, I don't remember, but. They, they all had shows he, after Seinfeld. He played a private detective. And I mean, yeah. he was the star. It was a network TV show. He got it, a that full, only was one season, right? 
Oh, of course, because it yeah. wasn't good. Just because he'd been on Seinfeld, he got a full order of episodes. And so he, he was in a paid. movie with Jeff Daniels. Is that Problem Child that Spooky's mentioning or the no. Bowtie Killer? What are these spooky? Are these like slasher horror movies? That's what they sound like. The Problem Child is like... Uh, John Ritter was in Problem Child. Batman wonders what's the episode where Kramer started screaming racial epithets <laughs> at the comedy club. I don't, I have, a, I haven't gotten there yet in my rewatch, but I remember this. I don't remember what. Episode Speaking of racial epithets in stand-up comedy, are we going to move to uh, Dave Chappelle eight forty-six? Are we, are we doing that, or do you want to? You do, put uh, it down. Well, I mean, I know I put it down, but we're already... Uh, how long have we been recording Yeah, this? yeah, we probably need to time, move on, move time. on to background. So, I would um, just say I watched 846 today, and, like, just before we recorded, and I was... Can I was we like, talk about cr- it next was, week? Yeah, because I was, like, crying. Like, okay. literally crying. Okay, let's talk about it next week. We don't have anything smart to say about it. Like, just everyone should watch it. You should just watch it, because yeah. there's. Yeah. I would not want to comment on it. Okay, we'll, we'll do that next week. I have one... Um, oh, we will. Cri- the, the movie I was thinking of is called Trial and Error. That's it. He is in that. Yeah, with uh, Jeff Daniels, and who else is in there? I want to say Rip Torn is in it. Yeah, Rip Torn, Maybe. Charlize Theron. Transition to greatness. Before we get to the movie, there are two things that I want to talk about. One is that we have an announcement to make, and Chris is responsible for that bit. But I also have a bit of video game news that I wanted to share with everyone. So, as all of you know, I'm an avid console gamer, <laughs> and there, there is news coming out about... PS5? Yeah, the PS5. Oh so, my gosh, my kids told me about it. They like like they're getting that for Christmas apparently because they, they've told me <laughs> we want this for Christmas. Uh, so it looks like uh, like a, you know like a, a cooler or something that you would a put cooler. in your room. It, like, not a cooler. Well, what's the word? A fan. A thermos okay. or, uh, or a fan? Yeah, something like, like it looks like oh, a or an air fan. conditioning unit. Like yes, or something like that. It looks okay. it anyway, it looks terrible. That's not the point. The point is that one of the games that is announced for the PS5 is called Goodbe- Goodbye Volcano High. <laughs> and Goodbye Volcano High is described as a cinematic narrative adventure about love, change, and the end of an era. The main character is called Fang, and Fang is an 18-year-old dinosaur uh, about to quit high school and who's an influencer. Really, the game is about gay and non-binary people trying to navigate high school life, and a lot of people seem really excited about this game. So you should probably get it for your kids, Ryan. But oh, anyway... Great. There, there, Sounds there exactly is, like what they need. There I, is, there, uh, I, I disapprove. You're... So you're supposed to shoot the the non-binary, sex, sexually I don't think confused sh- kids. I don't said think anything it's a, about shooting anyone. It's not a shooter, Chris. At least not a shooter in in that sense. And so you so, crash your car into them. This just no, sounds no, it, cruel. It's a narrative adventure. You you follow these people through high school and it has like different Grand Theft ways Auto, to and you and you bully them. Grand Theft High School. <laughs> But there's controversy surrounding this game. So it's not enough that they have, you know, non-binary dinosaurs. But the lead writer for the game is named Kate Gray. And Kate Gray is the person who, a few months ago, published underage Harry Potter pornography (laughs) uh, on the internet. 
What does that? What does that mean? It means that she was writing for Vic. <laughs> like it was. It was like cosplay porn. Like, I don't know what that means. I, I assume that under means- you know what fan fiction is, right? Okay. All right. Now imagine fan fiction. Okay. But as erotica for underage. You've got it. Anyway, that, that's all I have. Uh, PS5 sounds like a great platform for games. I'm looking forward to seeing it released. Can't wait. Chris, we have an announcement to make. Yeah, we have a very exciting announcement. Um, we are launching, July 1st, we are launching a Patreon. So uh, what are what's going to change for you if you are a regular listener of our podcast? Uh, nothing. Um, our podcast will stay outside the paywall. But uh, there are costs associated with producing and hosting a podcast, and we are launching the Patreon to help with those costs. And as a thank you for those of you who subscribe to our Patreon, we will give you extras on the other side of the paywall. So if if you're just a a regular listener and don't want to join, this won't change anything for you. But um, if you would enjoy some extras, um, Ryan and I I have already recorded an audio commentary for Solo, uh, a Star Wars story. And um, we really I'm glad just, you're clarified. It's the title of the movie, Solo, A Star Wars Story. Go on. We, we uh, on a Friday night, took set aside a couple of hours and just uh, had enjoyed watching the movie together apart uh, and recorded it. And uh, that, among other things, will be extras. Um, so if, if you uh, want to support us in, in those costs, promise you're, you're going to have fun on, on that side of the paywall. So we're very excited about that and just a chance to interact with listeners of the show. So we would appreciate it if you sign up. Sign yeah. up. If you don't, nothing changes for you. So don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah, we're not, we're not becoming a pay podcast, but we're, we're going to have some fun extras behind the paywall. Transition. We are going to talk about a movie that Ryan... Well, no. Slow down. Chris, what is, what is the URL for the Patreon? Patreon.com slash S-S-E-U pod. They, they didn't have just pod available. Someone got, got to that before we did. We are going to transition and talk about this week's movie, which Ryan has picked. So I'm going to let Ryan introduce this movie. Why are you going to do that? So it's Backdraft. Which <laughs> so Backdraft is another one like True Lies that we had on VHS when I was a kid. It was taped off of network TV, and I'd probably seen Backdraft, you know, dozens, multiples of dozens of times when from the time that I was a kid because we didn't have cable when I was a kid, so I couldn't just like flip on like. TBS or whatever they had in the early nineties, early to mid nineties, because I didn't have that. So whenever it was like, you know, CBS was showing their Sunday night movie or Fox used to show uh, movies in the afternoons on Saturdays. Like I would make sure to record those on VHS and backdraft is one of the ones that we had along with, it was like basically true lies, a few good men, backdraft and probably like top gun i've seen all of those movies you can't handle fireman so many times yeah and so when i rewatched backdraft it was sometime last year i was kind of surprised about how insane backdraft is and i tweeted i I did a live tweet of like half the movie and uh i was like we have to do this for an episode so So, uh, how many times in the past say five years have you seen backdraft like, well, now one and a half times. It was I, you, full Ryan, that watched it a lot. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I was like, it was probably when I was like 13 or 14 when I watched it a bunch of times because it came out in 1991 and I was 10. By the time it was on network TV, it was probably when I was like 13. And Uh, um, fun fact, uh, backdraft, I didn't realize because I didn't know this reference was mentioned in Seinfeld. When uh, (laughs) George mentions that he wants to go to the Universal Studios to see the backdraft like section or whatever. The movie was released in 1991 it had a 40 million dollar budget 44 million dollar budget but it made about 150 worldwide or something like that yeah so it tripled its budget it made money i mean it had a, a huge cast just star-studded kurt russell a baldwin um <laughs> robert de niro donald Scott- sutherland scott glenn uh, donald sutherland so so it made money it had an amazing cast that that sounds like a recipe for a sequel. <laughs> well, there is a sequel. <laughs> when, Eight, when was the sequel? Year, Eighteen years later, in twenty nineteen. <laughs> twenty eight. Twenty eight right. years. It's even worse. Yeah, that's what I meant. Twenty eight years later, they came out with a single sequel last year, and Billy. Uh, uh, no, not is it William Bill? Baldwin. Yeah, Billy Baldwin Bill. was in it. Yeah. Who else is attached? Who who else was in it? That, I wish that's I, all I know. Backdraft two, Backdraft two. Uh, I think Donald Sutherland, Sutherland is, is yeah. back in it somehow. We're gonna have to do uh, another episode where we watch Backdraft two. Well, I mean, in Backdraft one, I'm, they had like a body moment there in the room, and they were like, "Do you love fire?" <laughs> when he's like, "Did the fire look at you?" <laughs> it did. It looked at you. I'm kind of surprised that this didn't spawn a whole series of... So, I mean, the whole premise of this movie is that there are cop shows where a cop tries to solve a case, whether it be... Usually it's murder, but but this is firemen trying to... (laughs) I I assume that this takes place in the future after we've defunded all of the police because there are no police in this movie. (laughs) We're dealing with a serial killer, and apparently there's some kind of justice where firefighters deal deal with murderers themselves... I don't understand I what don't. Robert De Niro's job is. Is he a firefighter? No, he's I understand his job. He's an inspector. Like he used to be a firefighter, but then he, now he's a fire detective. He knows fire. Which that that is a real thing. Like you do need to send someone in to to determine the the cause of a fire. Well, but so I, I'm not allowed to just burn down my my business to to collect insurance money. Uh, there has to be some sort of. Um, Accidental. No, no, and the police don't deal with that. You get fire justice if you if you if you use arson to kill someone or to commit insurance fraud. The police are like, "Well, we're out of this one." You get fire justice. (laughs) Fire justice apparently is two men battle with axes in a fire. (laughs) I am going to describe the first hour of the movie here. The first hour of the movie is essentially about Billy Baldwin moving back to Chicago to become a fireman and joining the fire department where his brother already works. And it's really about the family drama and the relationship between the two brothers and him dealing with his past. Mm-hmm. That's the first hour, right? And also a arsonist. But gone. that's, I mean, that's sort kills, of a thing. Who but kills not by really... backdraft. An arsonist who only kills by backdraft. <laughs> and also Kurt Russell. You're going to get took... a backdraft. Which that reminds me of the Seinfeld movie, Death Blow. Like yeah. I could, every time there was a backdraft in this movie, I was like, Death Blow. <laughs> Does anything happen in this first hour that you guys want to talk about? So we see Kurt Russell playing his father. Him and Billy Baldwin's father. 
This and is apparently, weird. apparently, if you're if you work at Fire, you can take your kids to Fire like yeah. anything you want, because he takes yeah. he takes he takes Billy Baldwin to Fire. Well, Billy Baldwin when he was a kid, yeah. Yes, as a kid. So this uh, this movie opens, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, okay, Kurt Russell's going to fight a fire. And I see him go up there, and, and it seems really ominous because his son gets to come along and just watch him from, like, you know, right where, where like, like debris is raining can... down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this doesn't seem all that safe to me, but... Apparently, what... they'd never heard about a backdraft before this, this fire because you're like, here, stand right here. You want to be able... You, you got to stand arm lengths away from the flame. That's it. Yeah, like six feet. You know, yeah. don't get coronavirus from the fire. Uh, and I see him like leap from one balcony to another, but I'm like, it's Kurt Russell. They're not going to kill him off right away. So like, he's definitely going to survive. Seconds later, like the building explodes, and <laughs> and it's clear that Kurt Russell's dead. And I'm like, what? How it do you is, kill off Kurt Russell? And you also see Scott Glenn, who had just just fermented his hair to make it uh, black, and, uh, and who who is, he, who is Scott Glenn? Is he Axe? Axe is Scott okay. Glenn. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Stephen Baldwin as a child. Brian. Brian. Stephen Baldwin plays Brian. And what? What? Billy Baldwin. Billy Baldwin plays Brian. Kurt Russell plays Stephen. That's why I was confused. Uh, and his he, he sees his father get backdrafted, and then his father's <laughs> fire helmet falls out to him, and he picks up his father's fire helmet, and the helmet is fine. Like, why don't they make the whole suit out of the helmet? Why don't they make the whole suit out of the black box from airplanes? Yes. And, I always love so- that comment. Like, why don't they just make the whole plane out of the black box? Oh, I have another little trivia thing. Do you know, you? so when, when Kurt Russell is, is back in the 70s, because the first scene is 1971, he's running into the building, and there's like an old hippie man that says like, my whole life is on the whatever floor. Do you know who that is? No. <laughs> uh, Lord Bezos' Amazon told me that's David Crosby from Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Really? What? Yes. <laughs> he's really? only in that scene. Yeah. He's just like, the whole, the whole life is. Okay. The and he just plays, the character he plays is hippie man. Do you guys know uh, who did the, the music for this movie? Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer. And as I'm watching the opening, it occurred to me where he got the bram from. It comes from the fire horn. Like they're driving along and we hear this <laughs> bram. He, bram. Loves to, he loves to use practical music. <laughs> so after the initial scene where, what's his name in the movie? Billy? Bill? Billy Baldwin. Billy Baldwin. Brian. Billy, Billy Baldwin or Brian, he's standing there on the ground holding the helmet of his dad. He's photographed and it and it's up on the cover of Time Magazine. Life. Life. Time Magazine. Life. Magazine. Life. Whatever. And it wins a Pulitzer. It does. Pulitzer Prize! So he's famous. Kid's famous. And then something goes wrong, and we pick up the movie back when he returns to Chicago. In to 1991. 20 years later to try to become a fireman. A fire I guess he had failed at some other things. Right? And so we, we see him on the night that he graduated from the fire academy. And the guy at the bar starts to read, starts to go through his business cards because he's failed and quit a lot. Because he, it's clear that he quit the fire academy once. Just then he went on it. to a number of other careers. One of them is log cabin sales. Uh, log cabin. <laughs> no, is it really? Is, is there a is there a niche retail market where <laughs> there are 
people in real estate that only do log cabins. Like I'm looking. Well, yeah, you got you got to get accredited to do that. I'm sorry, you can't I just... only I only do log cabins. Yeah. I can't. Is this can't like the me. log cabin Republicans? Is that what we're talking maybe about? Maybe that's what he. Maybe it was. Maybe it was code. The the bartender is very skeptical that he's going to stick with being a fireman because he reads off all the jobs that he's had in his you know, early twenties and just right. and, and he, he's quit. there with his best friend or something. His best friend graduating Tim, who's Tim, from yeah. the area and uh, from the area, from Chicago, the city. Well, uh, apparently he knew him from, he, he cause it seemed Before, like he knew yeah. them from when they were kids. Right. Uh, because they talked about like, you know, when they were kids and Tim gets assigned to uh 17, like firehouse station 17, which is where uh, Billy Baldwin's dad was stationed and his older brother, Steven is currently stationed. But it's the, it's the toughest company in the city. It's the toughest company in the city. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> they fight fires like no one else. And um, so um, they uh, apparently when you graduate, like they send you the letter like that day, I guess in the mail. And so Tim, I guess had gone to Steven's house and, or to Brian's house and picked up the mail for him and brought it to the bar because he was like, do you want to open it and see where you're stationed? And Brian already knows because and he reads it and it's something else that's not station 17 because it's a cushy, it, it's something. a place that never has fires. Right. He gave, <laughs> because he gave a case, a case of scotch to the, uh, the no, chief. a bottle, one bottle, not a case. Oh, a I think it was a case. No, it was a case. It was a case because it comes up again. Because yeah, oh. when Kurt Russell finds out, because because later on, Kurt Russell tells him, "No, I got you reassigned to Station 17." He says, "A case of scotch, Steve, uh, Brian. You're getting cheap in your old age." And I'm like, "How much is this case of scotch? <laughs> like, <laughs> what do like you mean cheap? Bucks. Yeah, <laughs> like." Where did he get the money for that is what I was wondering. And Kurt Russell's like, oh, you're getting cheap in your old age. So there's a fire that night. And apparently... Oh, okay, it, well, hang on, hang on. We get a big exposition dump. So so right. we found out all these failed jobs that he's had. And then he run, runs into a girl and starts talking to her. And it, and she's like, you're, you're talking to me like, like we had... Like you did leave six years. Do you want to get a beer? He says, do you want to get a beer? And she's like, I haven't seen you in six years. You're acting like we're just so. We get this he didn't say he didn't want to. Say, he didn't say, do you want to go to your apartment in Bone right now? He said, do you want to get a beer sometime? Like I don't understand. She says, do you want to get a beer, Brian? You act like we haven't. You act like we hasn't been six years since we've yeah. seen each other. I'm like, no, yeah, I am acting like that. I'm saying, do you want to go to your yeah, beer? Yeah, do you want to catch up and yeah. catch up on what we've missed in each he other's is, lives? He so is he's very much not smooth. So he's talking to her. And he gets blown <clears throat> over by, by, by a hose, which I guess is a prank you do on new graduates. I right? guess on graduation fire like day, you, just, you, can like, just, you can just spray the whole street. You can just let, a, let the fire hose just do just Because he's talking to her, and, and like, they're like, ah-ha, like, from behind. They just like... And like, he gets sprayed, and she says, I see you've really matured. And like, he didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so at this point i'm still totally on uh, brian's side and sure, so they yeah. run to fire because if you just graduate real, you can there's just like run. a fire and then i guess you can just yeah go to the fire you just You're go like, to the I fire you just go because to- because tim says we can't miss this one and when he gets there he's cheer he like like it's like a terrible fire 
and, and he says, well, on and the he's way, cheering. Like, he's cheering like, yeah. the fire. <laughs> he's like, yeah. this is the real shit, the real thing. Um, they, they don't want to dwell too much on this because the, this fire that started, this dude opened a door and got thrown through his own windshield of a car that was like 20 feet away. And here's, here's the, the, the craziest thing ever is that when Bob De Niro, I call him Bob because we're, we're kind of close like that. Sure. Um, when he shows up, he's a fire inspector. By the time he arrives, this body is still sizzling. Now, <laughs> people are just standing right next to it. Guys, <laughs> one of my favorite foods when I'm at a Mexican restaurant is the fajitas, right? Fajitas. What's sure. great about the fajitas is when they bring that tray out, the vegetables are still sizzling. And I always wonder myself, how do they do that? But then, like, it doesn't take that long for them to cool off, does it? It's like a minute. Um, at the most. Sure. At the most. And yet, this guy, He's, his body is still sizzling. And it's got to be hours yeah. later. So anyway, yeah. So uh, the, the fire inspector's inspecting. Uh, we find out Kurt Russell's living on a boat. He is. His, this his is where, dad's old boat. This dad's is where, boat. and we, we get a foreshadowing because uh, Brian checks out the, what is it, trick to chlorate that he's got on the boat. And he says, mm-hmm. where'd you get this stuff? And he says, Axe gave it to me. And then this is where he admonishes him for being cheap and says, a case of scotch, Brian, you're getting, uh, you're getting cheap in your old age. So he gets him assigned back to his company or station, station 17. And so the brothers, who would have guessed it? that for this movie, the brothers are going to be together in the same station. And Kurt Russell says to Billy Baldwin, he says, I know what you're thinking. You can hang back at the fires. But there's no hiding in this job. <laughs> if you have a bad day on this job, someone dies. At this point in the movie, I noticed that this movie very obviously takes place in Chicago. So I'm guessing that Thomas and Ryan are, are thinking that it takes place somewhere in the Southwest, maybe Arizona, New Mexico. You guys are really good at the geography thing. Uh, did you guys like Kurt Russell's Chicago accent? <laughs> like he sounds like he took his, like his language classes from, from like the SNL skit for the dump bears. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he, at, at most, most of the movie when he's not like yelling, he definitely, yeah, is doing that like over the top Chicago accent, which is wonderful. So the next day, um, Brian shows up at his sister-in-law's house looking like Steve from blues clues. And, <laughs> Scares oh, is, he, sh- is he wearing a ru- rugby shirt? <laughs> yeah. And he scares the shit out of his nephew. Who he doesn't even know he who says, he is. You don't remember me? And so earlier on, we find out it's been six years since he's been back to Chicago. He's like seven. And the kid's like six and a half. And like, <laughs> <laughs> you don't remember me? You were, you were almost a year old last time I saw you. The kid runs into the house. He's like, who the fuck yeah. is this? He's like, there's this weird guy out there. And uh, so this is when he finds out that um, Stephen... Baldwin, Kurt Russell, and Rebecca de Mornay Mornay are separated, and he's not living there. Uh, So I guess this is when, then he goes to the boat and finds him on the boat, because he's living, he's living living on a boat that's up on... Dry dock. Yeah. Yeah. Can we fast forward to the next important scene here, which is the little brother joins the 17th and he is late one morning, gets on the fire truck, but they're going to the scene. (laughs) So do you get to go to fire your first day of fire? Yes. <laughs> you just you show up for fire and they're like, You're late for fire, let's go to fire. And you they, just jump li- on the you just jump on the truck. Pretty little much. No, little known fact, this is where the expression baptism by fire comes from. <laughs> so 
they go to the scene and they are supposed to uh, to fight this fire. This is where I started to suspect that this might not be a completely accurate portrayal <laughs> of firefighting. So Kurt, Kurt Russell and his team, they are storming up the stairs and he says something like, let's take this bitch head on. Yes. And, and then later on, he says, let's go for in. the throat. He says, dig in later on. And all the guys are like, oh man. And I'm like, dig in. That basically just means get take down cover? and let, let the fire go. The fire's going to go over us. Yeah. So they dig in. I don't know that much about fire, but their strategy <laughs> seems to be pretty terrible. It seems so, to be whatever Kurt Russell feels like at the moment. So they and give the new guy the, the hose. Yeah. Give the new guy so, the hose. There, there seems to be and, one thing that, that is best at fighting fire and that's water, right? Can we all agree on that? <laughs> Yeah, and yet they give the new guy the hose, and like the veterans are like wielding axes. Right, they just run in yeah. there. The hose is like they don't <laughs> care if there's water or not. They just go in there with axes, and it's just like all over the place. And they're yeah. just like, let's go for the throat. And they've got axes, and they're going to use their axes to go for the throat. Yeah, it's a rough. Uh, yeah, it's a rough experience. I guess if you're a veteran, you're just like, man, I wish I could have that hose. <laughs> I know, I know where to put it. But it, it seems to me they'd be much better off on the outside. Maybe not just running in without water. You know, I uh, apparently that's what you do. You just run straight in, and you dig in. Just remember. To- <laughs> <laughs> uh, so instead, uh, they just run in, and they're just totally at the mercy of the fire. And we see the flame disappear, and they say, it's in the walls. It's in the walls. And then suddenly the floor starts collapsing. Like and, and just like people are, again, they're just totally like, I can't believe that, that there are any firefighters left in this city. I can't believe there are any <laughs> right. buildings left. I don't think that this is how you, I don't, I generally don't think this is how you fight fires based on, Kurt, like as Ming says, Kurt Russell's gut yeah. is pretty much what they, like, well, and, and I think they, we should go in, guys. But but they sort of return to this later too. Where right. like, is it? Is it axe? So the floor, the, the floor floor falls, and they grab a guy, and they're like holding him. And he and says, "I'm like, going," because he has no confidence that sick that a half dozen firefighters can pull him up. <laughs> and because the, they say, "You go, we go," and I'm like, "There's six of you. You ought to be able to pull them up." Four, but that's just foreshadowing. Bill Bielden was looking for people. He hears a voice and he says, is there anyone in there? There's And there's like flames And it's coming. clearly said a woman saying help. Yes. Like, uh, I think later on they try to portray this as just like the fire making noise that tricks his brain. But to us, it clearly sounds like a woman is saying help. And then he he, he goes, he because because Bull, Kurt Russell, Bull, uh, tells him to go do something. I don't know what he, but then he hears a woman. And so he has to go save the woman. And he finds her and he picks her up and he carries her for, you know, more than two minutes and yes. carries her outside and saves her. And he's coughing and he asks the paramedic, did she make it? They tell him, they laugh and they tell him, I don't think she made it. You were too late for this one or whatever. And then which they find, we find out that it was a mannequin. Previous to this, I'd been totally on Brian's side. <laughs> At this point, I'm like, oh no, because... He's like, an idiot. He, he didn't realize in the two minutes he was carrying a mannequin <laughs> that it was a, he didn't think anything was weird about the, the way this woman weighed 10 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Or, or the texture of her skin or, or any, or just like how <laughs> stiff she was. 
nothing, none of that gave off any signal to him that, oh, hold on, this might not be a person. And at that point, I realized, oh, you know what, Bull is right. He know he's seen Billy Baldwin's IQ tests, and he knows, you know, that they're under eighty, that he should not be a firefighter. Kurt Russell, it's very clear that he's a renegade, right? And and one of the one of the major signals that he's a renegade is that he never wears his oxygen mask. He plays by his own right. rules, never right. wears oxygen when he goes in. Yeah, and this is one of the things that uh, I read after watching the movie is that real firefighters, one of the things that real firefighters remarked on about the movie is that, yeah, we, we probably wouldn't have been as zealous and stoned right into the fire, and we probably would have worn our masks more often. <laughs> <laughs> like, is literally what they said. But, but Kurt Russell's enthusiasm overcomes the lack of oxygen. Yeah. You don't need oxygen when you have enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And so ah, this is the but- first time we meet J.T. Walsh. Who's the alderman? Oh, uh, Swayzak. Swayzak, yeah, he shows Swizak. up. Shows up at the fire because that's what aldermans do. Yes, and this is really strange to me. It's like, what is he doing there? Is this what politicians in Chicago do? Like they show, show up, up on fires? They yeah, show up to I mean, fires, I guess. Yeah, this is a, a typical '80s and '90s trope: is that you have to set up a conflict between like. Uh, a Kurt Russell type, and then a guy in power. And the guy it's, it's, who goes with his gut, and the guy in, you know... The corrupt politician, or whatever. Corrupt politician, or whatever he is, yeah. It's like it's quickly clear that Martin Swayzak, the older man, is a bad guy. Kurt Russell is probably a good guy, and they get into a, a fight on the street, whatever. I would say, yeah. I would say also J.T. Walsh probably gives the best performance in this entire movie. He's I mean, great, that's not hard. He's a great sleazebag. What also happened was that Kurt Russell and Tim, the other proby or new firefighter, say they, they save a real life woman that's not a mannequin. And mm-hmm. um, Well, Tim does. Tim is the hero. Tim, yes. He, he's the hero because he listened to Kurt Russell. And Kurt Russell yells at Brian, says, like, you split up the unit, which I thought that Kurt Russell was the one that told half the unit to go upstairs. But he said that Brian split them up. I don't get the feeling that Kurt Russell takes criticism really well in this movie. <laughs> That's definitely his file. Does not take constructive <laughs> criticism. We get to see, we get, and so they're back at the firehouse. We get to see a great shower scene. Tim is so oh. turned, turned on by the by the fire that he's you know simulating a bukkake scene with the water in his mouth we see a lot of naked butts and then Mm -hmm. the next big thing that happens is the the fireman ball (laughs) yeah i don't know it's prom it's fireman prom yeah so so, (laughs) some sort of party for firemen kurt russell gets really drunk right yes so not only is he split up with his wife but she's already got a new guy Who's connected in some way to firemen? Is he another fireman? I, we they don't really say. He's just he's at he's the there. ball with her. I guess because who else does she know? Is like other than <laughs> she, she other knows than firemen. Right. All there are in this city are firemen and aldermen and <laughs> like six civilians. Right, and I mean Chicago is a small town, <laughs> and she's dancing with you know her new boyfriend. And Kurt Russell goes up to her and he's like, "We need to talk about our son on the dance floor <laughs> in the, the middle floor. of a song. <laughs> we need to talk about our son." <laughs> which totally, totally shows that he's serious about his son and not just using his son as a prop to get his wife back or because his feelings are hurt. This is a thing throughout the movie, like the love story between Kurt Russell and his 
are they are they divorced? Um, I don't get the sense they are. They, they are, separated. Separated. They are separated. separated. Yeah, separated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this is like a thing throughout the movie, and it was incredibly boring. And I don't really want to talk more about that. But he gets. But he punches. Fight. He punches the dude multiple times, and he keeps saying, "I'm done. I'm done." And then. <laughs> going back and punching him again. It's a great trick. It works on all your friends. <laughs> Makes them relax. And then, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the next thing I um, remember is um, there's a great training montage. Oh my God. This is so bad. <laughs> this is where we this get the music. So this is in a training montage. You want to get the music. You pay yes. for the music to get you oh. pumped up. Yes. And so what do they get? They get Bruce Hornsby. The show goes on. <laughs> which I don't know about you, but whenever I work out, I always put on Bruce Hornsby. And and they're like uh, the the Baldwin brother. He's like he's they're, washing his hair with a hose and yeah, running up and downstairs. All kinds of Top Gun, like you know, they're, they're chasing chickens stuff. Yeah, and so the <laughs> the end of it where the music Bruce Hornsby finally fades out, and then. Baldwin and Kurt Russell, they're they're racing up the stairs with the hose. And they basically tie, tie. And they're up at the top of the building by themselves. Kurt Russell has cut himself. And they laugh about how Kurt Russell was like, run, damn you. And then um, they both laugh. And then Kurt Russell just ca- kind of casually says, all right, roll up these hoses. Billy Baldwin freaks the fuck out because he didn't <laughs> know that any part of being a firefighter had to do with rolling up <laughs> That was the that was the last straw. Over the line, like over the line. I again, I'm back on Kurt Russell's side. Like, like he said, you tell the rookie to roll up the hose. Billy Baldwin freaks out and says, "This is about dad or or whatever." And and he quits, right? He quits. Yeah, he 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 doesn't quit the fire department. No, no, no. he doesn't quit there. He 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 is. Oh, this is where the beginning. Because they quit after the next fire. Because there's another fire. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, Andrew Rice asked if rolling, I assume rolling up the hose is that gay code? <laughs> oh, is that why he was so upset? <laughs> Roll up the hose. You know what that means. <laughs> no, well, that, now I'm back on Brian's side. You're right. <laughs> I wouldn't do that either. <laughs> Um, so, so they go to another fire, and um, there's great dialogue. Like uh, they shout at the, uh, they shout at each other. Don't take that kind of shit from it. Don't let it yeah, know you're scared. Don't, don't let the fire know you're scared. Is what <laughs> Kurt Russell's great advice to him is. And I'm like, all right, now I'm back on Brian's side. <laughs> and it, from this point on, um, most of the main characters start referring to the fire as a sentient thing. Yeah, as this an animal. This gets really strange. <laughs> the animal. Uh, and and what's it? They're done with fire, and they're gonna let it burn burn the house. But then a woman says, "My baby's up there." Bull runs back in, and and Brian follows him. And this is where, like, that's where Bull says they because there's a big there's a big backdraft that blows them down the stairs. And they say, and Brian uh, Bull says, "Don't let it. Don't take that from it. Don't let it know you're scared." And so then they go up and they're waiting outside this room where the baby's inside the room and there's just flames fucking everywhere. It's probably only like a thousand degrees inside the room. The baby's only been in there for like 15 minutes. He's still fine. And he's like, when I say go, go. And so like he waits for the backdraft to go and then it stops the backdraft and then Bull runs in and Billy Baldwin waits and hesitates and then he runs and then he gets blown back by the second backdraft, which Bull knew was coming. And he's sitting there and he's like, Steven, 
no. And then Axe comes up and sprays the hose in there because they're like, oh, yeah, water. That stops fire. And, um, and then he sees like Bull coming out, carrying the kid who's only been in the oven of thousand degrees for like yeah. 15 minutes. He's not completely cooked. He's just mostly cooked, but he's fine. And he saves him. And then they go back down and, you know, Bull tries to play nice with Steven and say like, hey, you know, that was crazy, huh? And Steven's like, I should have. I'm busy. You know, I, I try to follow tactics and logic and all that stuff, but I shouldn't be a fireman because I don't follow just like whatever I think to do in the moment. Like I try to understand the science of fire and the best way to fight a fire. But if I just always listened to what my feelings said, then I would be a better firefighter. So I quit. So he quits. And becomes De Niro's assistant instead. Yeah, who is you've been a firefighter for two weeks. Go be a fire detective. <laughs> yeah, go be and appointed appointed by the alderman. Well, I, the alderman knew about the mag the mannequin things. He's like, this guy's really stupid. I can manipulate him. <laughs> well, I have no idea how Chicago works, <laughs> I don't. but I feel like alderman appointing fire inspectors is the wrong way to appoint fire. Inspectors. Yeah, I don't know. If, I mean, but if there's no police anymore, then who knows? It's at this point where I actually wonder, since like there's a fire like five times a day at this one <laughs> and just knowing that, yeah, it's a thousand degrees. Here's my question. Uh, do they have more than one fire suit? Cause those have to be super stinky. Right. Yeah. And do they even dry out from shift to shift? Well, when you don't have to play, pay a police force anymore, you probably got more money to dump into firemen suits. One of the first things Baldwin gets to do with De Niro is that they get to, to go to a parole hearing where De Niro convinces the parole board not to let Donald Sutherland out. And I'm not sure what De Niro was doing uh, there to begin with. So, he, so Donald Sutherland, who is a serial arsonist, serial killer, is in jail trying to get parole. And so the parole board is talking to him and they're recommending, well, I think this person is, uh, because Donald Sutherland's fooled him. He's fooled him. That uh, you know he's not going to kill anybody anymore. But the one thing they forgot to ask him about <laughs> was fire. <laughs> <laughs> because Robert De Niro asks him one question about fire. He goes crazy and talks about how he wants to burn the world, burn the, <laughs> burn the entire world. And so and apparently this happened last year because he says, I'll see you next year. So every year the parole board forgets to write down <laughs> Ask him about fire. <laughs> and he's and, only served six years. Yeah, he's only served six years so far of being a serial arsonist from where well, we led to believe that he had something to do with Brian's dad, the fire that had that killed Brian's dad. Because somehow, for some reason, hinted. at one point later in the movie, when uh, Brian goes back to see him in jail, he's got the Life magazine with Brian right. on it. He's sent away for it. He says, it's a collector's item. I sent away for it. And he and he's gonna tell him who the who the torch is. That's what Robert Nero calls him. The torch is the arsonist who's killing people. The torch. And Robert Nero fi- figures out this torch doesn't like fire. And Brian says, "An arsonist with a conscience," <laughs> because he's only killing people. He's not burning down buildings. And he says, uh, "No, but this torch doesn't like fire." And so that's when. So then they they show up at the alderman's house. 
Oh, wait, hang on, hang on. But but also, he's not only responsible for that, but Donald Sutherland is also responsible for um, Robert De Niro um, not being, being able to wear short sleeves. Right, because Robert De Niro changes his shirt on Brian's first perfectly, perfectly normal in thing it, to do in, in his office. office. Yeah. yeah, you just take your shirt off, change it, and so that everybody can see the scars that take it. He's afraid to roll up his sleeves, but he'll take off his shirt in his office. That shows... <laughs> all the scars all over his chest and back because he was a firefighter that saved Donald Sutherland from a fire that Donald Sutherland started because Donald Sutherland says the animal, my animal turned on me. At one point, uh, De Niro acknowledges that in order to be a good fire inspector, the only way to truly kill it is to love it just a little. You have to just love like the oh fire. My, yeah. You have to love the fire just a little. Otherwise it's a living thing. It breathes. Not, it eats. You're not going to, it hates. It does hate fire hates the only way to beat it is to think like it so when they finally get the information that the alder because the alderman the alderman gives himself away because he he names the third victim before it's been released and robert de niro's like that's fishy because he shouldn't have known that that guy was the next victim yet and so he tells brian let's go talk to him but not at his office let's (laughs) go to his house and let's wait till like midnight because it's and so they show up at his house. And no one going. answers the door. So they're like, hey, let's just, let's like, just go, go in. in the house. We're yeah. fire inspectors. We can go in. Uh, there's gas. So like right away, he's like, I smell gas. And then um, they see the alderman's like knocked out. And then the guy in a mask attacks them, <laughs> uh, hits Robert Nero. And Brian like pushes him into an electrical socket that he'd been pulling out. And the electric socket burns him on his shoulder and he screams. He's like, ah, fuck, electrical socket. And then he runs out the door and then Robert De Niro pulls the alderman and he pulls Brian out. But then the explosion, the backdraft, he gets backdrafted, impaled by the alderman's fence. Do, do you think this is a record for the number of times they have said the name of the movie in the movie? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we should have had a movie quote for backdraft. Because there are so many backdrafts. That's when Brian goes back to talk to Donald uh, Sutherland. Donald Sutherland, who tells who for some him, reason has the Life magazine with him. He has the Life magazine with him, and he says, "If you tell me if the fire looked at you when you were a little kid, did I'll it look tell at you, you? I'll tell you who did this." And so he tells him whatever he tells him, and then he says, "The torch is someone who also hates fire, who's around fire all day, and also has access to." Trichloride. Such Brian, a hard riddle. Yeah, Brian's like, oh shit. Uh, and so he thinks it's his brother because early in the movie he saw the trichloride on his brother's boat. And so he goes there. The brothers have an awkward scene of where Brian thinks that Stephen is the arsonist. And he's just like, I don't know what's going on with you, man. And then he goes back to the firehouse to tell on him. But then Axe, who's the actual arsonist, and knows was, that Brian, he knows that Brian was the one who shoved him into the outlet to give him the electrical socket burn on his shoulder. Is just walking around without a shirt on, like with an electrical, a perfect, like a tat, like if he'd gotten a tattoo of an electrical socket on his shoulder, it wouldn't have been more perfect. And he's just walking around with it. And so Brian sees that and he's like, oh no, it's not my brother, it's Axe. So and- the. There are two things I like about this movie. One is this, like, it's not a huge twist, but it's still like a twist that is not the brother, it's Axe. Because I was all set on the brothers having some sort of showdown mm-hmm. somewhere, right? At this point. And we find uh, out that... Batman brings up a good point, like of Brian going to talk to the serial killer. That always works. The Manhunter did it. Silence of the Lambs did it. Backdraft did it. It always works. More people should go talk to serial killers. <laughs> 
Kurt Russell is like looking at like what Brian was looking at on his boat. And he's like, why is he looking at these cans of trichlorate on my boat? <laughs> and he says, oh no, he thinks I'm the arsonist. And so he speeds off to the, to the firehouse too, in which uh, there's a fire, but is he not on duty? Because they're like, hey, we have a fire to go to. And he wasn't supposed to be there. So do you just go to fire when you're not? I don't know how this works in Chicago. Apparently, they, there's not enough. The population of Chicago is not, a, not big enough to gather firefighters. And so he gets there. He says, you thought that I was the arsonist? And he's like, Stephen, tell me that you're not involved with this. And he's like, no. And he says, are you sure? And he says, that's the only thing I, sh- I am sure of anymore. Because he's pissed that Brian thought he was the arsonist. And the he's like, what are you going to do about so bad. He says, what are you going to do about you're You're his lieutenant. And he's like, all right. This guy that they both know is the arsonist. They're like, let's think about this and write down the uh, pros and cons. And they both come up with, let's let him go to fire with us. And so they let Axe, the arsonist, <laughs> go to fire with them. And it's a chemical fire because you know that because they say it before you go. And then when you get there, everybody said, it's a chemical fire. Yeah, like it's a chemical plant or something like that. Yeah. Or some fire. And there's this... There's this big ending sequence that's, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes long. Like 28 minutes, yeah. <laughs> like they're fighting in the chemical plant. Axe, and There's, there's a, an axe fight. There's an axe yeah, fight. And there, of there's course, a, I, give, I give the edge to axe. His name's axe. <laughs> yeah, there, there's an, an axe fire. Like, it, it's like a Jedi fight, but for firemen. Yes, <laughs> because, because once, they, once they confront axe, and he admits that he's the arsonist. Billy Baldwin has the line, you're his lieutenant, Stephen. You have to deal with this. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of fire justice system is going on in this world with no police? Well, remember, they don't have police. Right, exactly. But- <laughs> and so apparently the justice is the lieutenant and the person accused fight with an axe. Yeah, in the middle of a fire. In the midst of a fire. Axe like he just gives up and he's like i can't fight you or whatever and then he gets blown and they try to help him baldwin brother has a line at the end in the fight where he's like it's like a monumental sequence where he's like i'm going for the host (laughs) and then he slides down the pole and he runs to get the snake right he does he grabs because because apparently somebody just let the hose just like spray all around and it's just Uh, slide and he grabs it like a rodeo clown axe dies uh, Robert De Niro go so Robert De Niro gets to arrest people or like what, what was that Anybody? in a world with no police the fire inspectors have all the power I don't does he even arrest him or is he there's, there's like a press conference and he just like throws the evidence in front of the reporters yeah hey, I don't know if he arrested him actually he's just like here's the evidence <laughs> do what you will with this yeah, I, it, it, it's always, I'm on to the next case yeah. <laughs> And then, and then it ends with a funeral. Which is like the biggest funeral ever because there are only firemen in the city. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, the, people, like, the entire city of Chicago comes yeah, the, the, to this the, one fireman's funeral. The, there's first a parade down Michigan Ave. Yeah. And then they get to the cemetery and it's packed with people. <laughs> they stop at ESPN Zone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I give this movie... Two out of five stars. My favorite scene was the sex scene on top of the fire truck, which we didn't even <laughs> Which we didn't really even mention. About. We didn't. Because this yeah. movie is so bonkers. It's so and long and it's so crazy. I can't I believe Ron you go Howard, watch it. Ron Howard directed this and then he directed Apollo 13. Like, <laughs> what 
kind of school did he go to in between these two movies that he learned how to direct a movie? <laughs> He's like, oh, don't make the plot ridiculous. Right. <laughs> there was a Universal Studios like attraction ride yeah. on based on this. And and the thing that we haven't mentioned is is um like at the end, right before the credits, there's it says uh, across the screen, there are almost or there, there's like 1.27 million firefighters yeah. in the U.S. today, and I'm and I'm expecting like something else. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> like, it's just like there should uh, be more. They put their lives in the line. So many people die fighting fires. Nope, it's just FYI. It's just a piece of trivia at the end of this movie. <laughs> it was just there are a lot of It was just a Wikipedia entry at the end of a movie. I think both Ryan and Chris enjoyed this more because of the bonkers content. It took me three or four times <laughs> to actually get through it because it's a long movie. Uh, it, yeah. It's two hours and 17, 220 or something Imagine like that. if you had a VHS and you had to fast forward to the commercials <laughs> every time you watch this. What I did after I watched the movie is that I put together a ranking of fire movies. So I actually have a ranking of movies that go. So number five is Backdraft. Number four is Ladder 49. Number three is A Song of Ice and Fire. Number two is Heat. And number one is Firefly. Great ranking. Great yeah. ranking. That was a great ah, firefighter. Good job. That was a great firefighter ranking. Wasn't Howie Long in a, uh, in like a I think Firestorm or something? Firestorm. That's right. Yeah, he was in Firestorm. I, I don't know, but like, doesn't he come out of the water with a chainsaw and go like, and like throw a chainsaw? Oh, I'm sure there's a Howie Long. Of course, he's gonna throw a chainsaw. You don't put you don't put Howie Long in a movie if you're not gonna have him throw a chainsaw. Okay. Uh, do we have anything else to say about Backdraft, or that you want to finish the episode with? No. Nope. No. Nope. Ryan. No, I'm still looking up Firestorm. Playing with Fire is a movie that came out recently with uh, John Cena and. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. And, that, uh, I saw the trailers for that. And, and Keegan Michael Key, right? Yes, Keegan Michael Key. It looks terrible. I'm, sh- I'm sure he got some good money for that. Firestorm, 12% on Rotten Tomato. January, <laughs> January 9th, 1998. I think this is the movie JVL wants to do when he comes on. Uh, no. Firestorm? No. <laughs> Firestorm, failed to ignite pro ex-footballer Howie Long's career or anything else for that matter. <laughs> I mean, he was in those Radio Shack commercials with Terry Hatcher. I don't know how it didn't work. From all of us here at the podcast, a very good night. Wherever you are, keep the lamp burning. Thank you and good night. And good luck. <laughs>